Assalamualaikum. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you, and welcome to another episode of a live edition of the Breakfast Show here at the Voice of Islam. I'm joined today by my co-presenter, Brother Hashmi. Very warm welcome and peace be upon you to you too. Assalamualaikum, Brother Shazeb. How are you doing today? Yeah, it's good. Enjoying the snow, enjoying the cold and the rain and all that comes with it. Um, but no, aside from that, it's uh, been a very good week. Um, a very progressive week. Um, for our listeners that aren't aware, we, um, all praise to God, have inaugurated at least the uh, the administrative block of the Betel Fatul Mosque, which is the largest mosque in Europe, um, which happened on the 4th of March. Um, and it's a very uh, momentous occasion whereby His Holiness the leader of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community also attended and delivered his keynote speech alongside various other dignitaries and MPs and um, representatives of various faiths who also attended. Um, and I do believe, I think, um, a total of 1,500 people attended um, that event. And that was twinned with the Peace Symposium, uh, an event which um, took place after, I think, two years whereby the community um, seeks out uh, individuals who um, commit to various altruist activities, supports uh, other communities, um, and then the community, our community at least recognizes such people and um, not only gives them a trophy, but also um, a, a check of £10,000, which you know is truly incredible. Um, so that's what's been happening at least from the um, week thus far. Brother, are there any updates in the news? What's been happening? I know Chelsea are doing brilliantly well um, in the Champions League, which is good to see. Absolutely. At last. At last. At long yeah. last. Yeah, and what so, a win that was. A controversial one, but there you are. Well, after a long time luck, was, what was it with us, you know? Mm. So if if we start with the weather, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, the headlines are snow p- possible at first, then wet and windy. Uh, today, cold starts with some icy patches possible in the east. Occasionally, heavy rain spreading northeastwards may turn to sleet or snow for a time. Become less cold but freezier through the afternoon with rain showers developing maximum temperature of 6 degrees. And tonight, breezy with widespread rain showers. A risk of sleet or snow in the north later in the night, especially for higher ground as outbreaks of heavy rains move, move south. A minimum temperature is minus one. But we also have a news that uh, snow and travel delays expected as Arctic blast hits UK. So forecasts have warned of heavy snow and travel disruption as a wave of Arctic air brings icy condition to central and northern England, an amber uh, warning affecting an area between Stoke-on-Trent and Durham is set to come into force at 15 GMT on Thursday, which is today. So the warning indicates a likelihood of travel delays, power cuts, and that some rural communities will be cut off. It comes after the UK recorded its coldest March temperature since 2010. The area affected by the Amber Warning includes the Peak District, Leeds, the Yorkshire Dales and the North Penninus. 
The Met Office said around 10 to, 50, uh, 10 to 20 centimeters of snow is likely to fall across much of the area, with 30 to 40 centimeters in some parts, and to be accompanied by strong winds bringing blizzard conditions. So we have some good news that we have some snow coming, but of course some bad news for people living in rural communities who will be cut off. Um, we do hope and pray that they're all right and have some heating and everything going on. Mm, most certainly. Well, especially nowadays with the um, cost of living, um, I presume that well, at least communities that are based in rural locations are burning wood. Um, but there you are. Um, thank you very much for that, Brother Hashmi. Um, another news, slightly um, more... Uh, on serious n- notes, there's an inquest going into the catastrophe of um, the uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan. And the BBC reports that a weeping US Marine describes Afghan catastrophe before Congress. Tyler Vargas Andrews spoke in the first of a series of Republican led hearings examining the Biden administration's handling of the pullout. He detailed a period of chaos and unpreparedness in the days after the Taliban captured Kabul. Others spoke of enduring trauma and the moral injury of abandoning allies. Sergeant Vargas Andrews was one of several US military personnel tasked with protecting Kabul's airport on the 26th of August 2021 when two suicide bombers attacked crowds of Afghans trying to flee the Taliban during the U.S. evacuation. Thirteen U.S. soldiers died in the bombing, along with 170 Afghan civilians. And Sergeant Vargas Andrews testified that he and another U.S. Marine had received intelligence about the bombing before it occurred, and that he had spotted the suspect in the crowd. He said he had alerted his supervisors and requested permission to act but had never received it. Plain and simple, we were ignored, Sergeant Vargas said. In emotional testimony, he described being thrown in the air during the bombing and opening his eyes to see his comrades dead or lying unconscious around him. My body was overwhelmed from the trauma of the blast. My abdomen had been ripped open. Every inch of my exposed body took ball and bearings and shrapnel. Sergeant Vargas Andrews called the withdrawal a catastrophe, adding there was an excusable lack of accountability and negligence. I see the faces of all those we could not save, those we left behind, he said. The House Foreign Affairs Committee inquiry into the evacuation from Afghanistan also heard from other US soldiers and veterans who spoke of the mental health toll that the withdrawal has had on them. Retired Lieutenant Colonel David Scott Mann, who worked to evacuate Afghans at the time, testified that the experience trying to get allies out had been gutting. He added that calls to the Veteran Affairs hotline spiked 81% after the withdrawal from Afghanistan, and he warned that the US was on the front end of a mental health tsunami. He said a friend he had served with had died by suicide in the aftermath. He just couldn't find his way out of the darkness of that moral injury. Um, and it's very sad and I think these scenes and memories of what happened um, on that August day will forever be remembered as one of the um, the worst 
uh, evacuations or at least handlings of um, by any nation at least in recent time um, so many dead and so many that could have been saved that's why I think it's so widely would, would, will be widely remembered and I think there's, there deserves to be an inquiry um, yes by all means those I think was it 13 um, US uh, military personnel that passed you know each one of them is so significant but um, we simply can't also ignore you know the 170 um, Afghan civilians that also lost their lives um, you know hearts and prayers are indeed with those uh, loved ones that have lost uh, dear ones and near ones mm-hmm. anything that caught your eye brother Hashim, yes definitely so another news is that stopping small boats is priority for British people says mm. Rishi Sunak uh, stopping the arrival of small boats is a priority for the British people Rishi Sunak has said as he defended the government's new asylum plan Mr. Sunak clashed with the Labour's Sir Keir Starmer at Prime Minister's questions over the plan to tackle migration. The new legislation announced on Tuesday aims to stop migrants from crossing the channels, a channel to the UK. Sir Keir said that if the PM was serious, he would steal Labour's plan and smash the people's smuggling gangs. He said Mr. Sunak was deluded to think the new legislation would reduce the number of small boats as no return agreements with other countries were in place. The Labour leader said that applications for, from less than 1% of those arriving on small boats have been processed and said the asylum system was broken. The asylum system was broken. On his watch, processing of those boats cases has gone from an unacceptable to almost non-existent, he said. But Mr. Sunak accused Labour of not wanting to tackle the problem, claiming Mr. Starmer had never ever voted for tougher asylum laws. Stopping the boss is not just my priority, it's the people's priority, Mr. Sunak told the Commons. So that is one news that Mr. Sunak wants to stop small boats um, from coming from the the channels to the UK Um, it's very um, I think a very difficult task to achieve Um, I think I was reading a stat in 2018 it was um, there were only a couple hundred crossings or at least a couple hundred um, sorry migrants Mm -hmm. but I think last year's stat, or yes, last year's stat was forty-five thousand wow. migrants that um, had crossed the channel. So I think something needs to be done. But yeah, we'll leave it to the um, politicians see what they come up with. In other news, NATO cautious amid ongoing Nord Stream blasts investigation. Um, so uh, the NATO Secretary General Jean Stoltenberg has called for caution following media reports that a pro-Ukrainian group may be responsible for blowing up the Nord Stream pipelines, supplying Russian energy to Europe. While not pointing to any official Ukrainian involvement, a New York Times report published on Tuesday said intelligence reviewed by United States officials found a pro-Kiev group may be behind the attacks in September which became a flashpoint between 
the West and Russia after last year's Russian invasion of Ukraine. There are ongoing national investigations and I think it's right to wait until those are finalised before we say anything more about who was behind it, Stockenberg said on Wednesday. The explosions on the pipelines connecting Russia and Germany took place on September the 26th in the exclusive economic zones of Sweden and Denmark. Both countries have concluded the blasts were deliberate but have not said who might be responsible. Russia, which has previously blamed the West, seized on the news on Wednesday to demand a transparent investigation in which it also wants to participate. Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov suggested the media reports were a coordinated bid to divert attention and question how US officials could assume anything about the attacks without an investigation. Ukrainian Defence Minister Oleskil Rezenok said that the media reports were a little bit strange and had nothing to do with the Ukrainian government. Rezinkov said he was not worried about the prospect of the media reports weakening support for Ukraine. Germany warned against jumping to conclusions. We have to make a clear distinction whether it was a Ukrainian group, whether it may have happened at Ukrainian orders, or a pro-Ukrainian group acting without knowledge of the government, German Defence Minister said on Wednesday. Um, meanwhile, Germany's federal prosecutor confirmed that investigators raided a ship in January that may have been used to transport the explosive used to blow up the pipelines, but said there was no reliable information yet on motives and perpetrators or whether the attack was state-sponsored. So it's... Um, an ongoing um, uh, piece of information uh, as of when we do receive it. I think there will certainly be more clarification on the matter, but it's a it's a strange one to say the least. Um, because first of all, all fingers were being pointed at, um, what do you call it, the Russian, or the, the Kremlin. Um, and now... It seems to be the case that it was a Ukrainian, or at least there are. What's a report from the New York Times that it's, um, it has to do with something with the Ukraine? Absolutely. So if if we look at another news, is uh, budget twenty twenty three. The headline says my energy bills have doubled to three thousand in a year. Uh, Ramya Mohjazi, who owns a florist in Slough says the energy bills have doubled in a year to more than £3,000 annually. This is too much for small businesses, she said. We needed to come down to something reasonable. The government has been supporting firms with their energy bills over the winter. That help is due to be scaled back from April. But Ms. Mohjazi warned firms like hers need more support, not less. Her plea comes one week before the spring budget. In which, in which the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt will say how much of our money the government will take in taxes and what it will be spent on. The BBC has been visiting firms in Slough to find out what they're hoping to hear from him. Price measures are, is the main concern, with many like Ms. Mujazi saying rising costs are holding them back. So that is um, also not a good news that 
£3,000 to pay in a year for energy bills is, is a lot. Also, another news is that why is childcare so expensive and what help is available? The cost of living crisis has highlighted how expensive childcare is in the UK. Uh, Chancellor uh, Jerry Mahant is facing calls to provide further support for parents in the spring budget on 15th March. So what free childcare is available? Three and four year olds are entitled to some free childcare provisions throughout the UK with different schemes in the operation in England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. It needs to be approved childcare, meaning the provider has to be officially registered and meet the relevant requirements. In England, all three and four year olds are entitled to 15 hours of free childcare per week in term time or 38 weeks a year. The free hours can be used in some private nurseries or in state-run preschools. Nursery, uh, children of working parents who meet income eligibility rules are entitled to 30 free hours per week. Uh, Two-year-olds in England are also eligible for 15 hours free childcare under certain circumstances. For example, if the family receives universal credit, uh, parents who use their free hours in private nurseries may still have to pay for extras on top, such as nappies or snacks. So what other help is available? Under the free uh, tax-free childcare scheme, the government pays £2 into an account for every £8 the family contributes, up to a value of £2,000 per child per year, or £4,000 for disabled children. The money can be used for approved childcare, including child minors, nurseries, nannies and after-school uh, clubs. Parents can use this scheme alongside free childcare hours if they qualify for both. So that is uh, one news um, why childcare is expensive, but also we do have free childcare for three or four years old who are entitled to some free childcare provision um, if they meet the relevant requirements. Hmm. Um, very interesting. Um, we'll take a short break, and after the break, we'll, uh, I think, wrap up with the sports segment, um, and then we'll begin our first segment. My apologies, I should have introduced actually the segments for today's program. Um, the first segment really being about um, the the role of the media um, in terms of um, the overall, um, I think. Apologies, uh, women in the media. It was, in fact, I think Women's Day had passed just the other day. That was at the back of my mind. And also, then in the second segment, which will start around eight thirty, it's about the importance of looking after your kidneys. Um, so two spectrums, I guess. Um, but there you are. So we'll take a break and uh, stay tuned, and we'll continue with this after this very short break. The Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam foretold of a prophet. One, which would be the second coming of Jesus Christ, a Mahdi, a reformer, who would revive Islam and lead it forward into a new era of success. The Holy Prophet ﷺ requested his companions to convey his salam to this reformer of the new age. He said, when you hear the advent of the Mahdi, then enter into his fold, even if you have to walk on snow by crawling and creeping to reach him. The role and sole purpose of this subordinate prophet was made clear. He would revive Islam, unite all its sects, and establish a caliphate which would strengthen Islam and lead it forward into a new age. 
I give you the glad tidings of Mahdi, who will be raised in my Ummah at a time of digression and distress of people. He will fill the earth with equity and justice as it is filled with oppression and violence. But how could this promised man recognize that he was the one? It could only be through a revelation from God, and this revelation was received by the noble and humble Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad in 1891 in a small town of Qadian to the east of Damascus. It is now the duty of every Muslim to come forward and accomplish the appeal of the Holy Prophet to join in to the fold of this Prophet, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad the Reformer, the Mahdi, the Promised Messiah. I call to witness God Almighty who holds my life in His hand, that compared to every other soul, He has gifted me with overwhelmingly greater ability and access to the understanding and the deeper wisdom of the Holy Quran. If any of the Maulvis who oppose me in response to my repeated invitations had attempted to outshine me in the exposition of the Holy Quran, God would have most certainly frustrated his attempts and exposed his ignorance. Hence, the understanding of the Quran which has been granted me is a sign of Allah, the Glorious, and I have full trust in Allah's grace that soon the world will begin to see that I am true in this claim. Asalaamu Alaikum, may peace be upon you and welcome back to the breakfast show here at the Voice of Islam. So before the break we were going over some of the morning papers, seeing what's been printed, um, the headline news. Um, but it's time that we do begin our first segment which is about uh, women in the media. So in celebration of Women's Right Month, broadcasting women in the media has come very far from getting voting rights for women to advancing in every field of media like radio broadcasting, weather news, news reading and journalism. And women have advanced through decades and have come very, very far in all these respective fields. Um, So the question arises is how have women in the media come this far um, all these years? Well, in essence, um, I think women have been establishing their presence in the media field for over three centuries uh, with major breakouts being established in the 20th century um, and with the advent of equal rights in every sphere of living and you know by no means are we women uh, brother Hashmi but I do believe that very shortly we shall be joined by two women uh, who are very much so within the field of um, both journalism or at least in in the media um, so they can certainly help us um, with their experience and indeed with their endeavours and on that very point um, the Holy Quran states within chapter 16 verse 19 that whoso acts righteously whether male or female and is a believer we shall surely grant him a pure life and we will surely bestow on such their reward according um, to the best of their works. And in a separate place, the Holy Quran states in chapter 4, verse 125, But whoso does good works, whether male or female, and is a believer, such shall enter heaven, and shall not be wronged even as much as the little hollow in the back of a date stone. So in essence, what we understand from these verses is that regardless of whether which um, text we belong to um, the primary um, distinct feature which Allah the Almighty would look towards 
is who uh, presents himself in the best possible manner and who so um, endeavours to achieve these good works. Right, with that brief introduction, um, I am pleased to uh, invite our two guest callers for this morning. A very warm welcome and assalamu alaikum to Arif Azim Khan and uh, a very warm welcome to Sahib Iqbal. To be Iqbal, please. Jazakallah, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, Arifa Azim um, completed her Masters in Multimedia Journalism in 2017 and has been a part of Voice of Islam Radio since 2016. And Sabina um, is a university chaplain at a London university. She also has a uh, BSc and MBA from her for sure. And she's a panel member on the Pathway to Peace radio show on the Voice of Islam. So once again, a pleasure having... Um, both of you with us this morning. If I could turn to Arifa first, um, and then um, we'll subsequently come to Sabia. How would you describe working in the media, um, Arifa? Well, it is very interesting and it is very exciting because it's a very fast-paced environment, and you meet a lot of different people from different backgrounds, different age groups. You all have a story to tell. And then having the ability to come together and, you know, listen to the stories and express them in different ways is very exciting and very, um, very worthwhile, I would say, to to do and, you know, to put in all the time and energy to make it happen. It's very interesting. Perfect. Uh, so a question for Sabia is that uh, can you briefly explain a bit about the Remit as well as your role and responsibilities on the Pathway to Peace show? Yeah, um, so my uh, roles and responsibilities on the Pathway to Peace show have been that I've been a panel member um, in my professional capacity as a chaplain. So I'm a university chaplain in higher education um, and I've been invited quite a few times now on the Pathway to Peace show um, to contribute from my area of work and um, expertise um, and um, alongside other women as well. So there's various panel members and there's also... um, those who anchor the show, um, etc. So the Pathway to Peace show, um, just to put in a little plug there, you know, it's a show that looks at how we can achieve peace in society, whether that's global peace, political peace, economical peace, or whether that's peace within ourselves. So our the themes of our show uh, kind of rotate around um, this, this particular notion. Fantastic. And I think it's worth mentioning here that, um, you know, it's the religion of Islam always allowed and indeed promoted, you know, women to advance in all fields and indeed um, in all sort of avenues that they wanted to venture into. Um, and with this in mind, uh, Marifa, how do you think um, you know, women are empowered specifically in media fields now? I think the most interesting thing is how we see women working in all areas and departments, from being on screen to off screen to even being in starting roles as well as having leadership roles and management roles, such as managing a team or you know, being talent managers or um, being you know, especially when you're on screen and you are able to be, you are able to be the face of a certain topic and present yourself out there, you know. So be, basically being the story producer as well as being the face of a story or for a topic. I think so being an all rounder in those areas. And I think it's quite important to continue upholding this for the future generations as well. Absolutely. So, Sabia, if I could ask you also a similar question, is that how would you recount uh, working in the media? Yeah, um, 
Actually, it's quite nerve-wracking. Um, I think, if, I mean, I know I've studied, um, I think, media already, and I think it could be quite um, nerve-wracking for a lot of people because especially when you're offering something in as your expertise, um, it's a real demonstration of your breadth of knowledge as well, of your particular area of interest or work. But all around, I think it's been really invigorating. For me personally, it's been really educational. Um, it's been a great journey getting to know people of different professions and expertise as well, and I think all around really faith-inspiring. Um, I guess we can, I guess, um, also um, resonate with those sentiments. Um, it can be somewhat um, overwhelming at times. Um, and I guess, Arifa, um in your opinion, how has the media played a role in empowering women through the decades? I think over the decades it has definitely improved because as sort of media has progressed in different regions, it has given women as well as men to be a chance to be a part of it and take part of it and listen to the stories as well as um, take part in the stories. Perfect. Uh, so Sabia, um, how do you think women are being empowered in the media fields now? Yeah, um, I think it's a really interesting question. Um, and I think that there will be, I suppose, different answers depending on which area of media you're working on, working within. Um, if I if I could specifically on um, the African Muslim community and, and the community that supports Voice of Islam as well, I think that within the African Muslim community, particularly women are really being encouraged in all sorts of media fields, whether that's to write, you know, articles and blogs, etc., um, there's the website Voice of British Muslim Women, um, you know, one can check out. Women are encouraged to design things, you know, on social media as well. If you look at the Ahmadiyya Muslim Student uh, Women's Association, Ambassar, um, you can have a look at some of the, the great creative work that um, our younger students are doing as well. Whether that's photography, television, you know, advertising, women are encouraged and right behind, you know, all the work that happens in MTA, mta.tv as well. Um, and of course, radio. Um, so women are on all sorts of different shows, including the breakfast show as well. Um, and I think that through the African community, particularly, I think all kind of channels of media are being championed by women, as well as men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just that small little uh, change there. Um, and Arifa, how can our approach um, improve for women uh, empowerment? Is there anything different that can be sort of taken up? I think it's important to remind ourselves what does empowerment mean, you know, and to continue upholding, making things better for women, making chances better. So whenever in the future a woman thinks of working in media, she should not have to start or because of this reason or maybe I'm not the right person. You know, every woman should have this confidence that, yes, I'm planning to do this, to do this and I will go ahead with this. I think that would be the best way to show that, that to uphold the confidence in every woman that she can do this and she is very much welcome to come here and do this. Amazing. So if Sabia, do you want to input in this question that how can our approach be enhanced for women empowerment? Um, yeah, I think it's a really good question. I think our has already touched upon um, most of what, I, what my thoughts are as well. I think that we can continue uh, making it accessible uh, for as many women, you know, uh, geographically. I think it's been really interesting since the pandemic how we've been able to tap into, um, you know, sharing our voices and our thoughts as well through the media. And I think for it to continue to be accessible um, to as many women as possible. Um, you know, I think sometimes um, more in mainstream media, women are seen to have to kind of fit a mould. 
perhaps on television and advertising. And sometimes, you know, how, um, I suppose in some ways, how one can appear, can overlook what the message that's being shared. I think for me, that's been really empowering through, um, as a Muslim woman, to be able to maintain my uh, modesty and uh, stay within the bounds of my own faith, um, to still be able to just voice my thoughts and opinions has been really empowering. And I think if that continues, that's a positive step forward. Most certainly. And, um, you know, I, I think it's I think both of you are very well placed to um, at least tackle the issue then more so than we are. Um, and thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's been an absolute pleasure having both the ladies with us. Um, and God willing, um, I think in the near future, we can also talk about this topic in greater uh, depth and detail. So once again, Jazakallah for both um, for attending. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Um, that was Arif Azim and uh, Sabiha Iqbal, both um, experts in the field of the media world, as it were, um, and giving us a great understanding of what it means to be a woman um, in this in this realm and in this field, um, and also balancing their you know um, traditions and you know religious obligations, um, tying them in with this. Uh, with their work so it's very much so fantastic to hear from both of them um we'll take a short break and after the break we'll continue with this segment um and play some further interviews too stay tuned writings of the promised messiah salam. on one occasion this humble one saw in a state of vision surah al-fatiha written on a piece of paper which was in my hand and the writing was so beautiful and attractive as if the paper on which it was written was loaded with soft rose petals beyond count. As I recited the verses of the surah, many of these rose petals flew upwards, producing a sweet musical sound. The flowers were very delicate, large, beautiful, fresh and full of fragrance. As they ascended, my heart and mind were perfumed with their fragrance, and I felt so intoxicated that the delight that I had experienced turned my heart completely away from the world and all that is in it. This vision indicates that the rose has a special spiritual affinity with Surah Al-Fatiha. Assalamualaikum and peace be upon you. Welcome back to the breakfast show here at The Voice of Islam. Um, before the break, we were speaking with uh, two ladies, namely um, Narif Azim and Sabih Iqbal, on the topic pertaining to women in media. Um, and they were describing how... Um, feels to work in the media and, and how um, you know the media has played a role in empowering women through the decades um, and I think it's interesting because I think from at least where we stand and the lens that we look through it was Islam that allowed women to flourish and allowed them to excel in various fields and exceed um, expectations um, and there are various verses as indeed sayings of the founder of the religion of Islam whereby um, you know women are given that pedestal to go out and achieve everything and anything they desire um, the work of feminists mind you in the late 19th century and indeed in the 20th century and during the two world wars heavily impacted their progression into the working sphere um, 
you know, such as taking jobs, typically or typically male jobs, including mechanics or engineers, um, bus or fire engine drivers. Um, and since the 1960s, feminists, in regard to who controls um, and is part of the media, have said it matters who makes it when the who makes it continues to be only men. And contrary to this, um, the early prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said that the world is but a provision. And the best provision of the world is a good woman. And what we find here is that, um, you know, there's, an, there's a bunch of names in front of me of women broadcasters. So first being Nan Wigginton, she was a British broadcaster who became the first female newsreader on the BBC. Um, Elysia Lynn Linton, she was one of the first full-time female journalists employed by the Morning Chronicle in 1848. Hilda Matteson, she was the BBC's first director of talks and had initially joined the corporation in 1926 as an assistant in education. Mary Adams, she was the first female TV producer for the BBC in 1937. And Doris Arnold, she was the first female DJ for the BBC in 1937. Brother Harshby, what problems have a woman faced in all of these fields through the decades? Is it pertaining to one issue or are there an array of issues? Um, yeah, absolutely. If If we look at some issues which include like gender inequality, sexism. Uh, there's also some uh, safety issues, harassment and sexualization, um, underrepresentation, and biased. Um, if, we, if we look at Islam, uh, you know, the promised Messiah has said that rights given to women by Islam has not you know, been given to them anywhere else. The relationship of a husband and a wife should be like two friends. The first witness of a man's moral conduct is his wife. And furthermore, Islam teaches that the best among you is the one who's uh, the best to his family. If one cannot reconcile with his wife, then he cannot reconcile with God. If you look at history also, you know, 1400 years ago, Islam was the religion who gave, mm-hmm. uh, you know, voting rights to women gave uh, inheritance as well to women. And, but if you do look at the Western world, they just were given in 1900. So Islam already taught us what the correct teachings are uh, 1400 years ago. His Holiness has said that Islam also teaches um, to observe parda, which is the veil. It should be remembered that uh, where women are enjoyed to observe the veil, men are commanded first to act modestly and lower the gaze. The purpose of the veil is not to restrict women, rather it is to protect men and women from faltering. And thus when someone says, you know, that not all men stare at women, they should understand that is this is not only uh, this is not the only purpose of the veil, rather it is to protect everyone. Furthermore, undue restrictions should not be imposed in the matter of the veil. The promised Messiah is stated that the veil does not mean that women feel restricted in what they can do or feel restricted uh, to their homes. In fact, women can certainly leave the home and go out into society all while observing the veil and modesty. Islam seeks to establish 
righteousness and the veil achieves this most certainly it does indeed um and i think the over the overpowering message here is that really um i think to the surprise of many of our listeners who aren't acquainted with the true teachings of the religion of islam um would be actually i think for a moment shocked to find that you know our religion allows us to really um push women to exceed uh, in whatever field it may be um whether it's media today in today's discussion or you know any other field um that they want to um excel into and that's the message really that's the key objective um um that Islam has laid down for women at least uh, for them to be in a position whereby they can succeed and achieve anything and everything but we are approaching the 8 o'clock news so we'll take a short break and stay tuned writings of the promised messiah alayhi salam it should be remembered that god almighty by demanding faith in the unseen does not wish to deprive the believers of certainty of understanding the divine indeed faith is a ladder for arriving at the certainty of understanding without which it is vain to seek true understanding those who climb this ladder surely experience for themselves the pure and undefiled spiritual verities when a sincere believer accepts divine commands and directions for the only reason that god almighty has bestowed upon him through a righteous bearer he becomes deserving of the bounty of understanding that is why god almighty has established a law for his servants that they should first acknowledge him by believing in the unseen so that all the problems they face may be resolved through the bounty of true understanding but it is a pity that a hasty one does not adopt these ways joining me on the line today our sister sharmin bat sara ward and durishawar anwar first of all assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh peace and blessings of allah be upon you all and a very warm welcome to the voice of islam thank you wa alaikum assalam peace be on you too jazakallah wa alaikum assalam thank you thank you peace be on you as well sister sharmin bat serves as mawlana sadr lajna uk for press and media and is the head producer for voice of islam shows faith in focus and sisters on air she has been serving both the shows from their inception sister sara ward is a mother of 3 and a primary school teacher she has been a faith in focus writer researcher and presenter since 2016 when voice of islam was launched sister dore shahwar anwar is a secondary school science teacher and was closely involved in creating the show sisters on air a couple of years ago on which she served as a trainee producer and presenter i would first of all like to come to you sister shamin but can you briefly explain a bit about the remit of your two shows as well as your role and responsibilities yes uh, i serve as the head producer on two voice of islam radio shows these are recorded shows and they're called as you just mentioned faith and focus and sisters on air now my job is to take care of everything concerning the shows which is starting from approving an idea or a topic for an episode uh, and right through to the completion of the studio recording and the audio file handed over before it can be aired 
my team of researchers, uh, who are also writers, present their own shows. I think this is quite unique to our two shows, that our researchers write as well as present and host shows. And I'm blessed with teams of, as I see them, creative and excellent writers. We, have, we also have our own audio editor who works on every episode. And as I said earlier, with the grace of Allah, both our shows have all-female teams who are from all age groups. And as, as right now we are commemorating International Women's Day, and in particular, women in news media, I would like to add here that um, this platform, The Voice of Islam, is yet another female empowering setup uh, which works within our Ahmadiyya Muslim community, which has always encouraged and promoted its women and men to, uh, for us to try and be at our best. And again, in short, uh, personally, on the two shows I serve on, I am involved in editing the scripts, securing studio guests, scheduling the recording dates. I, o- I also oversee the social media side of things. I can make the graphics myself, but I have a reliable person who posts on social media for the two shows. And the way I see it, my role means that I manage everything concerning faith and focus and sisters on air, uh, as I said, from start to finish. Okay, and in your opinion, how is the news media empowering women in this time and age? In this time and age, well, women have always been part of, part of news media, but I must say that there has been a lot of improvement in the last few years in women representation in this field, especially uh, in the broadcast media. Now, a few years ago, a few decades ago, I should say, women like Kate Hady of the BBC really stood out for her amazing work reporting from war zones. But now we have a few other excellent women journalists who have followed suit, really. So in our personal view, women journalists especially excel at radio work. Recently, we have had, we've also seen uh, women of diverse backgrounds come to the fore of news media, which is, of course, something to be celebrated. And as your question alludes, it's empowering. It raises hopes and aspirations of young women and girls of all backgrounds that they too can accomplish their journalistic ambitions. Now here um, in the UK, we have seen first-class journalism by Michelle Hussain and Seema Kutecha, two names that come to mind as far as people of diverse backgrounds are concerned. And they have also been uh, news media other than this, they, has all, they, has all, they have also been news media uh, women journalists who have come up with significant political scoops or breaking stories in the recent past. So this is all very encouraging. Excellent. And can you please briefly explain the exalted history of Lajna Auxiliary Organization and how that has empowered women? The Women's Auxiliary Organization of the Hamdi Muslim Community is called Lajna Imaila. And this uh, means or translates as community of servants of Allah. We were formed 100 years ago. This is a centenary year. We were formed, uh, founded in a small town in India. But the second caliph of the promised Messiah, peace be on him, the promised Messiah, of course, was the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Our second caliph was a visionary. 
and establishing Lejnaya was one of his innumerable accomplishments. Now, he gave Ahmadi Muslim women their own auxiliary organization long before he gave men theirs. And uh, another inter- very interesting point is that uh, he, uh, the second caliph, founded Lejna on the suggestion of his wife, who was passionate about women seeking knowledge. Um, with the background, uh, with the backdrop of the theme of this year's International Women's Day, equity and equality, I'd like to put some context to the groundbreaking initiative that Lejna was at the time it was founded. So a Muslim women's organization for women, led by women, was established in a small town in India in 1922. And this was a good six years before women in England, Wales, and Scotland received the right to vote as uh, as a result of the representation of the People Act uh, it, in, in 1928. So Lejna started with just 14 founding members, but it is now global and branches all over the world. Um, it has branches all over the world and we have over uh, here in the UK alone, we have 12,000 members. It's, it's really not possible to mention all the salient points of the amazing you know, organization that Lejna is in the time we have. But I'll, I'll try a little. Um, Lejna is all about women supporting each other and trying to excel at whatever we have to offer. Emphasis is given on seeking both religious and secular knowledge, awareness, as well as practice of health and fitness, outreach work, helping neighbors, anyone in need, really, in general, serving humanity. And we also organize our own large-scale events. Fundraising is done on a huge level, and the list goes on. Again, in context of what your show is about, women in news media and your question about, you know, empowering of women through Lejna, empowerment of women through Lejna. In the last many years, several years now, we have had an active press and media team here in the UK, Lejna, and the team writes letters to editors, blogs, produces podcasts, has also contributed to mainstream print media and much more. So it's it's about adding your voice to the public discourse. It's empowering. And if we look into into the organization of Lejna, I think in some depth, or really even in a cursory manner, we realize that it has been gloriously structured by our second caliph for women empowerment based entirely on the teachings of Islam. And of course, as a practicing Muslim, I believe that Islam is a faith that truly honors women. Very interesting. Uh, Sister Sarah, what I would like to come to you. Um, you have been with the Voice of Islam show Faith in Focus from February 2016, which is the very start. Uh, please share your thoughts and reflections on your experiences as part of this show. Yes. So, um, first of all, I would start off by saying that I consider myself very blessed um, and very humbled to have been um, given the opportunity to contribute towards Voice of Islam and towards Faith and Focus. Um, actually, at the beginning, I, you know, you have to understand that as Muslims, it's really an integral part of our faith 
to serve others and serve humanity. And then as you've just been hearing, um, as Ahmadi Muslim women, we have this organization of Lajna Imaila, and we're members of this from the age of 15 um, for the rest of our life. We belong, we have this sense of belonging. And as part of the work of Lajna, as part of the ethos for founding this organization, is the notion of service and spreading knowledge. These are, you know, inculcated in our constitution and they're integral, integral to every Lajna member across the globe, whoever they are. Um, so this is really the ethos with which we act as a sisterhood, with the way we interact as a sisterhood. So I was approached by um, Mrs. Shanine Butt to begin this project. And really at that time, we didn't, I'm not a professional um, journalist. I'm just somebody who is willing to serve and who wants to serve. And when something is asked, I will try my very best to fulfill what's asked of me. So I was asked to contribute and come up with some script ideas. And so we did. And really at the beginning, we had not experience, um, not professional background, but we had, because of Legendary Myla, we as Muslim women have a strong understanding of our faith. We are taught to um, understand our rights and our values as women, because it's International Women's Day we're talking on. And so this was with faith and focus. It was very much coming from that uh, female perspective and giving Muslim women in the media a voice so that our perspective could be heard. Um, so we're, we're very much still working in, in the way now that we were before. We've developed skills, we've developed understanding, we've made links with other members of different communities. When we have guests on our show of other faiths, we've um, you know always found that to be very uh, beneficial. We try to be inclusive in our content. Um, so I think, you know, because of this background of being Afghani Muslims, being led by Khilafat, having that guiding principles, we're very much grounded in in our principles and we just carry on whatever work is asked of us, we do. But I'd also like to say that um, as members of Lajna and Milo, when we're asked to do something, we try our best to do so. And <clears throat> there's no sort of vying for a job. I didn't try to get a job on Voice of Islam. I didn't try to um, become part of this. I was asked and included. And I think when we are working in the spirit of service, it removes ego. And so the removal of that ego and working together with a team of women from all these different backgrounds, it means that um, you do develop that sisterhood. So I'm very privileged to work with a fantastic group of women who all bring something different to the role. And I'm always so sort of impressed by the knowledge and skills that we have as Ahmadi Muslim women. And I do think that in large part that is due to the guidance of Khilafat, the teachings of Islam, and the fact that Lajna Maila encourages us to be knowledgeable and to share our knowledge. And I think also a lot of our listeners would like to know what are some of the challenges women are still facing in the field of uh, news media? So I think, um, you know, particularly for Muslim women, I feel that I've seen it in my lifetime the um you know their voice is not often heard we're often spoken about and talked about and opinion is given about what we should wear or where we should go or how we should live our lives but our voice is not often heard so i think that um 
Voice of Islam is a a wonderful platform for us to share our authentic voices and make sure that we, our views and opinions are heard. Uh, Sister Durishabwar, um, I would like to turn to you. You were heavily involved in uh, with putting together the slightly newer show, Sisters on Air. The production of both Faith in Focus and Sisters on Air is run entirely by all-female teams. So in what way does Sisters on Air differ from Faith in Focus? So, um, just like Sarah, uh, I would like to start by just saying how honoured I was to Im- be involved in sort of launching the Sisters on Air project and considering the vision and putting together this this idea that we had. Um, as you said, both teams are run by women. And in my experience and my understanding, I think Faith in Focus does an excellent job of covering quite a broad spectrum of topics that may or may not show... Um, a particular female angle to it, to them as well. I think with Sisters on Air, we were really taking guidance from our current caliph, may Allah be his helper, um, to participate in this idea of intellectual struggle and address many of the sort of challenges um, against Islam that pertain to women. So we kind of had this vision of addressing contemporary issues that pertain to women and giving the Islamic perspective on these issues as well in a very much like in a much more direct way. Um, <clears throat> we also feature what I call a legacy episode. So that's taking examples of uh, Muslim women in history and looking at the, their lives and how that their activities or their examples fit into our lives today as not just Muslim women, but how they might um, apply to the lives of all women in the modern era. So I think for Sisters on Air, the vision is very much about um, the female angle on issues, on contemporary issues, and on um, Muslim women throughout history. And uh, in your experience and, and opinion, how can we help to achieve more empowerment for women working in news media? So I think um, Voice of Islam is already doing quite a great job, as Sister Sarah has highlighted, and has, uh, um, because it is giving an opportunity for Muslim women to share their voices. And I think that that's kind of what we need more of in the mainstream as well, where women who are marginalised, whose lifestyles don't necessarily match up to what the mainstream expectations are, have a space for their voices to be heard. They need to be in the rooms where conversations about them are happening so that they can offer an accurate reflection or representation of themselves. They need to be given more opportunities to speak out and to demonstrate the um, beautiful practices of their life. Mr. Sharmin Bhatt, Sarawad and Durri Shawar Anwar, thank you for taking your time out and joining us today. It's been very interesting to learn about your experiences, about the departments that you serve in. Once again, Jazakallah, uh, may Allah reward you and have a great day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And that was a pre-recorded interview um, by uh, Brother Nafis, um, interviewing Shermin Baj, Sara Ward and Dori Shirwan and Warul in their respective um, roles involved within the media world or at least um, have a close interaction with the voice of Islam. And... Um, you know, it's very encouraging um, that we do have all of these, you know, Muslim women um, who are actually very much so in the thick of things, um, especially with regards to actively being part of um, a woman in the media. 
Um, we also have another audio clip which uh, we shall play for our listeners. Um, so stay tuned for this. Too. So the Amadi ladies have uh, adapted themselves to this situation. And they are very happy. They are not suppressed in any way. They are encouraged to get more education. They are encouraged to participate in every healthy activity of life. To, For instance, in, in, in the, among the Muslims there are two groups now. One lying to this extreme and the other to that. When they call ladies are emancipated, that society is a westernized society. And emancipation in their concept means not the good points of the western society, but only the evil points. When a lady is permitted to intermix freely and to enjoy life and, and, and chuck to the four winds the principles of morality and so on, this is what they think is uh, liber liberation of women, emancipation of women. And there are those who live in the other extreme where the ladies are not permitted to walk, most often, not permitted to walk out of the four walls of their small houses and to observe parda, the veil, in such a manner as it's most burdensome, most shocking, most, uh, you know, discomforting to them. And uh, they're not permitted to speak to any, any other man. They are... Uh, only imprisoned for life, almost for life, within the four walls of their house and they go through the drudgery of just looking at the children and caring for the husbands. And the husbands, on the other hand, enjoy all evils outside. So this is a shocking paradoxical society which creates a hatred for this so-called Islam in the younger generations. So they just walk out of this to the other extreme. In our community, we try to maintain this balance right from the start. The ladies are told that you have as many rights as men have, according to the Holy Quran, but with the restriction that you should look after your chastity. Nobody should be permitted to play with you and turn you into a plaything. You know, this is not the society which is encouraged by Islam, this which we think uh, guarantees the ultimate happiness of both the sexes. So, um, they are given their due rights. For inst instance, Islam gives inheritance, right of inheritance to ladies, which is not given in any other religion, to my knowledge, or other societies as well. And in the other Muslim societies, they simply forego that right because nobody is going to give that right to them or they have to go to the courts to sue their, 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 their brothers and so on for their right. But in Ahmadi community, this right is given. I mean, practically, they come into their own wealth when their parents die or some other relatives whom they should normally inherit. That wealth belongs to them. They are free to use it. They are educated. They participate in professions, doctors, nurses, other things teachers, and so on, no problems, as long as uh, they strictly maintain the moral standards. So that was a, a clip by His Holiness, um, the fourth caliph of the Ambiya Muslim community, um, 
allowing us to understand a greater role indeed of women and indeed um, the challenges and tasks that they face. Um, Brother Hashmi, what has His Holiness, the fifth caliph of the Amdi Muslim community, also said on the matter? Absolutely. Um, so uh, he said, by all means, adopt those things that are good in society, but never forget that our true guiding light is and always will be the Holy Quran and that our true role model is the Holy Prophet of Islam. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Rather than following the superficial glamour of the world or being influenced by modern trends that come and go, we must follow and heed the everlasting and timeless teachings of the Holy Quran. In today's world, much is said and spoken about women's rights, but those people and nations that are said to be extremely modern and developed, yet what they neglect to mention is that until just a few decades ago, they failed to provide women with any rights whatsoever. When the men of these nations finally chose to grant some rights to women, it was done more to show that they were in favor of equality. Whereas the truth was that the slogan, uh, slogans in favor of women were often hello. Uh, any rights granted to women in recent times have been the result of necessity rather than any deep desire for progress and also as a means for the men to fulfill their own selfish desires. This is something that history has proven time again. Furthermore, it is only in recent times that non-Muslim women have realized that the two had rights. Due to the fact that they were previously deprived and the religion had not protected them, such women have campaigned for those things that are considered rights in the eyes of the world. Yet, from the very outset, Islam established the rights of women based upon their role in society and keeping their best interest at heart. Certainly, the rights afforded by Islam are based on wisdom and human nature. So from this, we can see that Islam was the religion who gave rights to women in the 1400 years ago. And the Western world that only gave rights to women just now as we see in you know, 1800, um, in the 18th century, in the 19th century, they were given the rights to vote after long, long um, years, you know, given uh, the right to inheritance. Islam gave that 1400 years ago, but uh, sadly for the Western world, it was just given um, like 100, 100 years ago. So we can see that Islam actually gave uh, the world, you know, everything 1400 years ago. Mm-hmm. Most certainly he did. Uh, and on that note, we do end this first segment. Um, and we'll take a short break. And after a break, we'll start our second segment, which will be about the importance of looking after your kidneys. In this season of hope, faith and new beginnings, let's focus on self-reflection, improvement and doing good deeds. God says in the Holy Quran, They will say, Our Lord, perfect our light for us and forgive us. Surely thou hast power over all things. Chapter 66, verse 9. Our light can shine by showing kindness, love and support to the people around us. 
the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace be upon him, said that the best of you are those who have the best character, Bukhari and Muslim. Let's try our best to improve our character and let our light shine. On behalf of the Voice of Islam Radio, we extend our best wishes to all our friends and listeners. May God bless you all. Amin. Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to the Voice of Islam. Um, right, before the break, we were just I think, introducing our second segment for this morning, being about the I think the importance of our kidneys. Um, and it's, a, it's very interesting um, and, a, dare I say, a diverse topic from our first one. And I guess the global campaign um, surrounding um, the importance of kidneys aims to raise awareness um, of the importance of our kidneys to our overall health and really to reduce the frequency amid um, an impact of kidney disease and its associated health problems. World Kidney Day is an annual event that takes place worldwide. Hundreds of organisations and individuals launch initiatives and events on WKD to help raise awareness of kidney disease. Um, and I think it's fantastic that we do have, you know, the variety of the topics that we do. So it enables us to talk about an array of um, various matters. Um, and it also actually allows us to um, bring some topics to the intention of our listeners that perhaps you know wouldn't really um, think of these topics. And... On that very point, so I am pleased to welcome our first guest caller for this segment. Skid Gig is a kidney transplant recipient. He is an honorable president of the National Kidney Federation um, and the MBTA, the National BAME Transplant Alliance. And he also received a Points of Light Award from the Prime Minister for his work on organ donation in 2018 and an MBA in the Jubilee Birthday Honours in 2022. Um, Mr. Modi, if I could start off by asking you, what is the importance of looking after one's kidney and the long-term benefits? Yes, I think the first thing I think we all know that all organs are important, but kidneys are particularly important to us because the main function, they do a number of functions, but the main function is to clean our blood every moment of the day. Every time your kidneys are working all the time, to clean the blood and obviously, you know, urine is produced and then obviously that's how the water balance is kept. So the cleaning the blood is, is from impurities and so on is the main function. But kidneys also control our blood pressure and lots of other things as well. So you can see kidneys are very important. And I think the 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 best way of looking after our kidneys is 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 not surprisingly the usual things we say, which is to have a balanced diet, to regularly exercise, watch our weight, and so on. And these are, you know, common sort of aspects which we, we, we say to people to, to keep healthy. So kidneys are in the same way, same, same procedure for, for looking after your kidneys. But the, the, the challenge we face, uh, particularly in, in, in the Asian communities, is that, uh, as you know, Many of us suffer from diabetes, and uh, kidneys are, kidney problems are related to diabetes. So what we find is that in our community, the more people who suffer from serious kidney disease uh, compared to the rest of the population. So if I just give you one statistic, um, 
There are lots of people waiting for a kidney transplant in this country, and a third of those people waiting are from ethnic minority communities. Amazing. So, um, Mr. Kirit, uh, my question is that uh, what challenges do people face uh, who have kidney conditions? Yes, again, many challenges. As, as we all know, I mean, uh, when you have kidney failure, mm-hmm. getting to the last stage of kidney failure, then there are two basic options. You either have to go on dialysis or you have a kidney transplant. Now, clearly, dialysis is an invasive process where the two ways you can dialyze. You can dialyze in a hospital by going to hospital three times a week get connected to the dialysis machine for around four hours, and then your, your, your blood is cleaned by the machine, which is your name, instead of the kidneys. And uh, you can obviously dialyze at home, and we increasingly encourage people to dialyze at home if, if, if they're able to do that. So dialysis, is, is, is a lot of people have to go on dialysis, but it affects the quality of your life. And the second option, and the, by far the better option, is to have a kidney transplant. Now, again, everybody knows that having a kidney transplant is is much better because you can almost lead a normal life after a kidney transplant. And as you were saying earlier, I've had a kidney transplant for over 20 years and and I lead a normal life. I can eat everything. I can go on holidays. I can do everything I want to really. Obviously, I have to take medication to to stop the, 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 the kidney I've received from being rejected. And... But the challenge we have in our community is that we do not have enough people donating their kidneys. Mm-hmm. So the waiting list for our community is much longer. We have to wait longer. And regrettably, uh, um, there are people who, who die while waiting for a kidney transplant. So uh, what's the uh, waiting list? How, how long do you have to wait? It depends. This is an average. Uh, so if you are from uh, Asian background, we have to wait about two and a half years on the waiting list. That's the average. Um, whilst it's much less for the for the white community. Um, but an average, by its definition, means that if you're lucky, you can get a transplant fairly quickly. But I know people who, who wait for five years or even ten years on the waiting list. And as I was saying earlier, regrettably, there are people who continue to wait and die without having a transplant. Um, what advice um, can you offer to young people to prevent them from really, um, I guess, if they can, um, you know, some some things are in our control, some things aren't in our control, but at least you know, prevent them from developing any kidney conditions? Yes, I think the preventing kidney conditions, as I said earlier, is looking after your health and so on. But I think the first thing to say to young people is that there's a, there's a misconception that people think that kidney patients uh, you know, you're only affected when you're older, you know, that it's, it's not a young person's disease. I'm afraid that's not true. Young people have kidney problems and they need to go on dialysis or have a transplant. And we also have children who, who need kidney transplants and are on dialysis. That's the first thing. It can affect you at any age. So looking after your health is absolutely key. The second thing I would say, not just to young people, to, to everyone in our community is, Think about organ donation. This is a, a, a fantastic thing you can do. 
all our religions in principle support organ donation and you potentially by donating your organs you can donate kidneys in two ways you can donate your kidneys after you die obviously you have two kidneys so if they're good kidneys then you can you can help and transform the lives of two people or you can donate a kidney if you're healthy or as a living kidney donations because we have two kidneys and, uh, and and God has given us two kidneys and that's the only organ we've got which is spare if you see what I mean so so it is possible if your health is good think about living kidney donation and you can donate to to your loved one to somebody in your family or a close friend so so message to young people and everyone in the community is on this important world kidney day think about organ donation the people in this country who are waiting for kidney transplants as we speak are thousands of them and we don't have enough people in our community coming forward so think about donating your organs you can register to donate and we encourage everyone to register and talk about this within your family not just the young people i think it's a family discussion involving the young people as well as the elders in the community because it's an important decision which the family can make because clearly no one is going to take a kidney out from from a patient without talking to the family clearly that's part of the law so i would say there's an important message for our community let's all do everything we can to reduce the number of people who are waiting for a kidney transplant and in some cases transform lives but in many cases also in fact we are saving lives most certainly and uh, you know we also echo that message um of uh, at least you know having the conversation of you know, being in that position to you know support others because of the good that will come out of that well thank you so much for joining us this morning uh good at modi it's been an absolute pleasure having you and and it's well, definitely thank been... you for inviting me and thank you to you and, your, and everyone in your station thank you so much this important matter on this on this day an absolute pleasure thank you so much that was thank good you. at modi um transplant recipient and also um, has been acknowledged for his fantastic works um, with regards to um, uh, bringing everybody's attention to um, the significance of um, the kidneys and indeed the transplant. We'll take a short break and after the break we'll continue with this segment so stay tuned. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show here at the Voice of Islam. Um, Continuing with this segment of the importance of our kidneys, um, and 
with relation to this, we have an audio clip um, about His Holiness um, speaking on the matter of how we can look after ourselves and indeed how we can take care of ourselves. So we'll play that for you now. I noticed whenever you're reading your Friday sermon, you don't wear glasses for, and you're yes. always in excellent health. And uh, could you tell your secret? You see, well, the secret is from Allah's, is in Allah's, Allah's grace, in fact. But you shouldn't uh, misconstrue from this by seeing me reading without the glasses. My sight has definitely suffered, like it should normally do, but very little. In ordinary daily time I spent in my office, most of the time I do not wear spectacles at all. I read the ordinary mail and things, all right. But when it comes to small print or some hands which are, you know, which are rather involved and uh, spidery, I have to use uh, the spectacles. My number is 1.5. And ever since I first used it, I first uh, realized that I should use some Spectacles. It was uh, in 1950. Uh, I think it was when I was 52 years old. At that time, my number was one, and now it has advanced to 0.5 only. It is surprising indeed because the uh, experts tell me it should advance much, much more. But it's the grace of Allah. I don't know what the secret is. <laughs> How do you keep yourself healthy? Because I, I think I'm not keeping myself as healthy as I should. Because I don't have time for excess, enough exercise. But I have daily exercise. And uh, there I can tell you one other secret. Turn to homeopathy. If you want to remain really healthy, it's very important to get rid of the allopathic system of drugging. The system itself is so cruel that it destroys your livers, your other glands, directly attacks the heart, etc., kidneys, because when it confronts the presence of viruses or bacteria in the body, it must kill them. And the poisons which are essential for killing life, are given to you in the name of drugs. And they have no other alternative but to do that. So it is very naive to believe that they would kill only selectively the foreign elements which are not uh, wanted in the system. When they are powerful and potent enough to kill some forms of life, they also incidentally injure some other forms of life within your system. And no sane allopath would deny this. You know, some quacks may say, no, 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 it's not right. Everybody knows how the liver function is affected adversely, how the heart function is affected, how kidneys receive a negative, uh, you know, uh, are... Uh, injured sometimes in the membranes within, which is, which is called mucous membranes, 
And because of overmuch of antibiotics or overmuch of aspirin or overmuch of other such things. So ever since I started homeopathy, I felt that I'm feeling definitely with the grace of Allah much better than before. My serious attacks of migraine have gone. My hyperacidity with, with which I lived, which was also responsible for my migraine attacks, It's no more there. Very occasionally I feel, and then I treat myself, and it's all right. So, because we have banned from in our family, from our family, antibiotics. That's one major factor. Whether homeopathy is good or bad, banning of uh, uh, this antibiotics is definitely good. But when you ban them, you must have some alternative. And that is why I say homeopathy is, mashallah, is a well-tried, well-tested alternative, which is far better than the allopathic system of cure. Right? That was His Holiness, fourth caliph of the Andhya Muslim community, giving his take on um, what medicines to use and uh, really uh, promoting the homeopathy um, because it doesn't have any side effects as such um, I guess the next question which we can really pose is and talk about is uh, Brother Hashmi what daily habits can we as individuals uh, integrate in our own lives to improve the overall health of our kidneys absolutely so um, regular exercise is good for more than just your waistline but it can also lower the risk of chronic kidney disease it can also reduce your blood pressure, uh, and boost your heart health, uh, which are both important for preventing kidney damage. Uh, People with diabetes or a condition that causes high blood pressure may develop uh, kidney damage when your body cells can't use the glucose, um, the sugar in your blood. Your kidneys are forced to work extra hard to filter your blood. Over years of exertion, this can lead to life-threatening damage. High blood pressure can cause uh, kidney damage. If high blood pressure occurs with uh, other health issues like diabetes, heart disease, or higher cholesterol, the impact uh, on your body can be significant. So people who are overweight or have obesity are at risk for a number of health conditions that can uh, damage the kidneys. This includes diabetes, um, heart disease, and kidney disease. So focus on eating fresh ingredients that are naturally low in sodium, such as cauliflower, blueberries, fish, whole grains, and many more. Uh, Water um, basically can clear sodium and toxins from your kidneys. It also lowers your risk of chronic kidney disease. So we should aim for at least uh, 1.5 to 2 liters a day. Exactly how much water you need depends largely on your health and lifestyle. Uh, Factors like climate change, exercise, gender and overall health and whether you're pregnant or breastfeeding are important to consider when planning your daily water intake. Uh, Smoking damages your body's blood vessels. This leads to slower blood flow throughout your body and to your kidneys. Smoking also puts your kidneys at the increased risks for cancer. So if you smoke and stop smoking, your risk will drop. 
If you regularly take over-the-counter OTC uh, pain medication, you may be causing kidney damage. Um, Anti-inflammatory drugs, including ibuprofen and naproxen, can damage your kidneys if you take them regularly for chronic pain, headaches or arthritis. Indeed. Um, and like I was mentioning earlier on, you know, those are unfortunately some of the side effects that will um, result in um, you know, uh, kidney failure um, and hence the significance of you know, making sure that we do look after uh, all of the organs in our body um, and uh, the various other sayings and indeed the quotations of the Holy Prophet Islam, the Peace of Allah be upon him and indeed the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim movement you know, or promoting us to make sure that we do um, uh, not only adopt physical exercise, but also encourage it amongst the the other, amongst other people too. Um, with those words, um, we have sadly come to the end of today's program. Thank you so much, Brother Hashmi, um, for being with me, and um, all to, uh, thanks to all to our guest callers uh, helping us understand the topics in detail, indeed to our producer and research teams. But from everybody here, Assalamu alaikum.